Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. All right, well, tonight's message I've entitled, Right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong. Right Thinking in a World Gone Wrong. You and I, uh, as Christians, are faced with choices and decisions every single day. How we think, uh, what we allow into our minds, the thoughts we entertain will radically impact the outcome of our choices, for better or for worse. And as Christians, we need to be proactive in filling our minds with those things that bring us closer to God and a oneness with Jesus. Because the alternative is a mind filled with doubt, pain, trouble, confusion, instability and anger, hopelessness, fear, anxiety, and evil. And ultimately, we become distant from God. Why did God judge the world with a flood back in Genesis 6-5? The New Living Translation says, The Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth, and He saw that everything that they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. Let me give you God's assessment of us before we were saved, before we became Christians. Romans 1.28 says that we had a debased mind. 1 Timothy 6.5 tells us that we were destitute of the truth. Romans 8.5 and 6 tells us that our minds were set on the flesh and we were spiritually dead. Romans 8.8 says that we were hostile towards God. 2 Corinthians 4.4 tells us that we were blinded by Satan and defiled in Titus 1.5. These are all sobering truths for us. The wonderful thing is, is that God has delivered us from this mindset. He's delivered us from this mindset, and He's poured out in, into us His Spirit. He's given it to us freely and kept us from this way of thinking. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12 through 16, and I'd like to read this to you. It says, Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. These things we also speak, not in words with which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things. He himself is rightly judged by no one, for who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. You see, we have the mind of Christ now to know the deep things God has given to us. And what has God given to us? His word tells us that our sins have been forgiven through Jesus Christ. That we have peace with God we have the promise of heaven. We are a new creation, and the old things have passed away, and all things are brand new. 
The Spirit of God dwells in us in that we have been set free from the bondage of sin. And whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. So to know these things and still allow our thoughts to be polluted with worthless activity, it becomes detrimental to the transforming process God is desiring for us. Paul writes in Romans chapter 12, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Our minds need to be renewed. Our way of thinking needs to be changed. And if we don't allow this process to take place, then our lives will be no different than the fallen world in which we live a world gone wrong, and sin will have dominion over us. Paul asks the question in Romans 6, how shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? You know that the old man was crucified with Jesus, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Paul is basically saying it doesn't make sense for us, now that we are new creations, to be thinking like we were before we were Christians, before Jesus came into our life, before Jesus created us anew. Proverbs 23, 7 says, as a man thinks in his heart, that is who he is. Well, my prayer tonight is that we take proactive steps through God's Word to initiate a lifestyle of healthy thinking as prescribed by Paul the Apostle here in Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. And let's read that. Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 through 8. Paul writes, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, If there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. Right thinking in a world gone wrong. Right thinking here in these verses involve four things that I would like to share with you. And if you are taking notes, these are my four points tonight. The first one is rejoicing in the Lord. Right thinking here in these verses involves, number one, rejoicing in the Lord. Number two, living in the light of God's presence and Christ's return. Again, number two is living in the light of God's presence and Christ's return. Number three is prayer. Prayer. And number four is meditating on what God views as good. Meditating on what God views as good. If we were to apply these truths to our way of thinking, then verse 9 tells us that the God of peace will be with us. 
So let's take a look at our first point. Our first point, rejoicing in the Lord. Paul here tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. Every opportunity that we have, you and I, we are to rejoice in the Lord. We're to rejoice in who He is, what He has done, and what He promises to do. And there's no better example of this than in Exodus when the Lord delivered His people from bondage of Pharaoh. So let's turn there. Exodus chapter 3, verses 6 and 8. Exodus chapter 3, verse 6 through 8. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt, and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up from the land, from that land, to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey and to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites, the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 5. Exodus chapter 5, verse 2. This is Pharaoh's response. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord nor will I let Israel go. Turn to Exodus chapter 6, and let's read verses 1 through 8. And then the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh, for with a strong hand he will let them go, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty, but by my name, Lord, I was not known to them. I have established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel from whom the Egyptians keep in bondage, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out, of, out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. Amen. That's good stuff. You know, just reading that just kind of gets my heart fired up. You know, it just blesses me. It just encourages my faith in the Lord to know as he is declaring, I am the Lord. These are the things that uh, 
I'm going to do, and these are the things that you're going to see before your eyes. My confidence in Him, it just grows leaps and bounds. This is such a big event that God said, and when I bring you out from the bondage of Pharaoh, you will celebrate a memorial unto me. And what we know as the Passover. And when your children ask, why do we celebrate this year after year, you're going to tell them the story that they rejoice in me always. It's such a big event. Question I have for you is, what has God done in your life to reveal his strong hand, his mighty works, his unfailing and everlasting love? Let it be a memorial to you to rejoice in Him always. Now, some of you here tonight maybe had a hard time listening to God's Word right now as we read those last few verses to receive that God delivered the children of Israel. You might be overwhelmed with anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. Let me say to you that you're not alone. Because if we look back here in Exodus 6, verse 9, right at the very end of 8 when we finished, it says, So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and because of cruel bondage. This is how the people felt. They were overwhelmed, and they experienced this anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. The promises are great, and they're impossible. But like Pastor Ed has shared many, many, many times here on the pulpit, we have to be encouraged and reminded that we don't know the end of the story. We have to f- trust in the Lord so that He would see us through this time of anguish, this time of a broken spirit, of cruel bondage, that that's all we're focused on and that's all we see. God wants to help tonight, whoever it is that's going through that. Because just like in this story, God sees, God hears, and God has come. He has come down to deliver you tonight. If you will cast your cares upon Him, because He is our peace, let Him be your peace tonight. Let's turn back to Philippians. Paul is no doubt remembering this great event as he's chained to a jailer, and in the lowest of dungeon, in the darkest part, under the worst condition. And here he declares, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And we think back when he first visited the Philippians, and he was thrown in jail, and he was beaten, him and Silas, and he was chained. And it says at midnight that he was praising God, and he was praying And gosh, that just shows that this isn't a guy who's just writing these words to just bring 
you know, positive vibes or just to try to pump people up. He's basically saying, I was there. I went through it. And the Spirit of God was there encouraging me to focus on Him and not on my chains and not in my condition. Here Paul has been delivered from jail. At this moment, as he's declaring, rejoice in the Lord. But he's been delivered in a different way than you and I see or would envision. He's been delivered so that his perspective is not on the temporal, but it's on the eternal. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Our second point is living in the light of God's present and Christ's return. Right thinking involves not only rejoicing in the Lord, but having an awareness of God's presence in our lives and understanding that there's that imminent return of Jesus for his church. Verse 5 tells us, Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Let your gentleness be known to all men, the Lord is at hand. Turn with me to 1 John. 1 John and chapter 1. Verses 5 through 7. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you. That God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. 1 John chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. But whoever keeps His word... Truly the love of God is perfected in him. And by this we know that we are in him. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. How are you living today? What's being displayed in your life? Paul says here in Philippians 4, if we turn back there, to let your gentleness be known to all men. To the Colossians, he wrote in Colossians 3.12, to put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. But life counteracts that and leaves us rough around the edges, cynical, bitter, angry. And if this describes you today, let God soften your heart. Let God soften your heart and smooth out those edges. And it begins with confession of sin. Is there sin in your life that needs to be confessed? We need to allow the spirit of gentleness to minister to us because the Bible says this, that it's, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And we need to ask God to make us gentle to be sensitive toward His Spirit. 
so that our life will be seen before men as an example of God's love and His gentleness. I know it's hard. It's difficult in the flesh, but in the Holy Spirit, God will empower us. That's why, you know, at the beginning of my day, as I'm driving to work, I'm praying, Lord, fill me with your spirit. Empower me and enable me so that when I get there, Lord, that you can have your way through me. Soften my heart. Cause there to be a gentleness so when I'm talking with somebody that if they are sharp with me that I don't respond back in anger or I don't allow myself to, to continually um, think about that event and just kind of stir inside of me anger and, and hatred. I want to remain gentle. I want to remain kind and humble. Jesus is coming for his church. So how should we be living? Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 5 and 8. It says, You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Notice the play of words here, the the play on words. Don't be drunk, but be sober. Walk in the light of day, and don't be as those who sleep in darkness. The idea here is to put off those things that are so evident. When you see somebody who is drunk, they are just out of control of being able to make right decisions. Sleep occupies our thoughts like we're being idle. And it's just a good description that we're not allowing these things to be a part of our lives. We're not to be living like this in light of Christ's return, but to be sober-minded, as the word says here, awake in the spirit. And so we need to put off those things that would pollute our minds and our actions. We're to be looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. We need to allow the God of peace himself to sanctify us completely that our whole spirit, soul, and body may be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. That our lives would be displayed for others to say, now, there's something different with that person because we're trusting in the Lord. Number three, prayer. Paul says here in verse six and seven, and let's, uh, let's read that together. Turn with me back to Philippians chapter 4. And let's read verses 6 and 7. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. And so he starts off in verse 6 by saying, be anxious for nothing, or do not be anxious. 
or stop being anxious. Or another translation, do not remain in an anxious state of being. What makes you and I anxious? Is it not the overthinking of stressful situations or the knowledge of something that's um, been made known to us? Does anxiousness seem to be a great weakness in your life? Paul says the remedy for our anxiousness and our thoughts is prayer. Prayer will diffuse everything. Prayer will strengthen our faith. Prayer causes a dependency on God and not on ourselves to fix the problem. Prayer says that God is who He is and we are not Him. Prayer is what brought the promise of Isaac to Abraham. Prayer is what strengthened the heart of Joshua to take the land of promise. Prayer stopped the reign of Elijah and called down fire for his adversaries. Prayer shut the mouths of lions for Daniel. Prayer is what delivered David from Goliath. Prayer is what strengthened Peter to speak God's word with all boldness. And prayer is what helped our Lord fulfill his mission on the cross for you and for me. What is it that you are anxious about today? Paul says to make your requests made known to God, and the result will be a mind filled with peace. A mind filled with peace. Isaiah 26.3 says, You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on the Lord because he trusts in you. It's time that we start taking our prayers to the Lord. <clears throat> taking our prayers to, the, to, to God more and more and worrying less. Finally, number four, meditating on what God views as good. Meditating on what God views as good. And let's read verse eight. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, Whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, <clears throat> meditate on these things. Meditating on what God views as good. A few years back, I had the, the blessing and opportunity to share at my father's passing. Uh, back in California. And I say that because there's a lot behind that story. He is one of two fathers that I've had. And so the majority of the people who were there at the memorial service were from um, a whole other family that I am not very connected with. <clears throat> Didn't grow up, grow up with them. Didn't view them as my brother and sisters. Didn't view them as my cousins, my nephews, my aunt, my uncles. And yet they asked me to, uh, to get up and, and to share about my father. My father was a tough guy. He went through a lot growing up. 
And because of that, it really seared his heart. It really caused a lot of bitterness. And because of that, what came out of his life broke a lot of relationships. All the way to the very end. And it's unfortunate because he loved the Lord, but he just could not get past the bitterness and the anger. He couldn't get past tradition. So many things that hindered him from building those relationships with his family. And, and it, it ruined a lot of, um, of, of the relationship he had with his family. And so as I went up to share, I, I was thinking, even preparing for it, I'm like, what in the world am I going to share about? It's just one of those kind of situations like, I know everybody is going to be frustrated. They're all coming to pay respects to their father, their uncle, their grandfather, but they're all upset because of what's happened in the past. And the Lord gave me this verse. The Lord gave me this verse to just share with them. And, and as I, I received that from the Lord, I just started to think about it. And I started going through every single one of those words. And as I was just meditating on this, this section of Scripture, all of a sudden my mind kind of pulled away from the past and all the hurt and all the problems and all the difficulties. And my mind truly just started to focus on all the good things that my dad did. And I was so blessed to be able to stand before them and to share with them this section of Scripture to try to encourage them to turn their focus and to put it on the Lord and in His Word to look at the good things that God has done through that individual. And because of that, after the service was over, people were coming up to me and talking with me, and God used that as an opportunity to minister. Um, later, a few years later, my half-brother ended up passing away. They asked me to do his memorial service. I flew out there, uh, did the memorial service again to a, a family that's pretty much strange to me. Like, in a sense, I, I don't have a relationship with them. But they received the message that I brought to them about my half-brother. And again, there was more opportunity all that to say, it's so important, guys, that we take God's word for what it says, to meditate on these things so it changes us first, to bring us into that place where we're at that oneness with the Lord so that God then can use us to minister and to comfort others with his word. And I'd like to just spend a few moments just going through each one and just kind of um, I'm just sharing with you a description. And here when it says, brethren, whatever things are true, we're to meditate on. Whatever things are true. What is truth? We've heard that phrase in the Bible before, right? What is truth? Well, Jesus said, thy word is truth. God's word is truth. Whatever is true, we find right here in God's word. And we can bank on it. And we're told to meditate on it, to memorize it. The psalmist wrote, Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. 
I want God's word in my heart so that at that time that I need, the Holy Spirit is able to bring it to my remembrance and I'm able to make a choice that's going to honor God. And then as I meditate on it, my thoughts are focusing on, on his word and honoring him and not on the situation. The psalmist would go on to say that it's a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path, God's word. And we can go on and on about the importance of meditating on God's truth. But let's move on to the next word. Paul goes on to say, whatever things are noble. That can be described as honesty in action. Honesty in action. We're to glean from those noble actions and apply them to our lives. Who we see and how they conduct their lives. Apply them to our lives. Those things that are noble. We're to meditate on those things and consider them. Whatever things are just, justice towards others. We're to meditate on the actions of justice or the right responses toward others. Whatever is pure, that's a message in itself right there. To meditate on whatever is pure, how we need purity of thought. To meditate on purity. You know, I regularly ask. I regularly pray and I say, Lord, purify my thoughts. Wash me and cleanse me. I want to enter into the presence of the Lord with clean hands and a pure heart. Here's a practical application to help you with meditating on what is pure. Limit what you watch on TV. Use discernment on the movies that you watch. I know we're bringing it home and I'm probably stepping on toes right now. But guys, it truly is about those things that we put off. You know, when, when Maria and I, when we um, uh, had our, our, our first um, boy, we just kind of made a, a commitment toward each other to limit what we watch on TV. We don't want him viewing things. And then the next one came, and, and then the, the third one, and, and it's just been a, a part of our, our practice at home. We just don't watch news. We don't. We don't watch certain TV shows. I mean, I think back before as a Christian, the, the shows that I used to watch, the things my mom and dad used to allow into my lives that polluted my brain that caused me to look at the world in a very um, fleshly way. And it ruined my mind. That was an area that God had to just shake me up and get me on my knees and put my head in His Word. And just like God's Word says, that renewing process needed to happen. And God has delivered my brain. And I'm thankful for that. And has given me the capacity to allow His Holy Spirit to fill me with thoughts of peace and of joy and of love. And for that, I'm so thankful. So much anguish of mine flows from a lack of discernment of what we choose to watch. The next word is lovely. I love that word, lovely. Because as I read it, 
I, I remember about a year and a half ago, I, I was in this section of Scripture thinking, meditate, meditate on what is lovely. Well, what is lovely, you know? And how is that going to help my thoughts? And every time I turn to the right and to the left to find out a good description of what is lovely, I kept thinking about my wife. My wife is lovely. She's good. She's wonderful. She's beautiful. And the Lord was just pouring out this. And even though I, I've been married to her for several years now, the Lord was just revealing this to me. And he's the one who was telling me, she's beautiful. She's lovely. She is good. She is kind. And no matter, it, it just didn't matter what. When I thought of that word, I always thought about my wife. And I'm not trying to say this, guys, to get extra credit. Trust me. I know other ways to get extra credit. The Lord just kept, kept it that in my heart. And, 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 um, and it's great because as I meditate on my wife, my focus stays on her. And it keeps me from wandering eyes right to the left. Looking at this and looking at that. I want to keep my focus on my wife. I want her to be lovely for me for the rest of my life. She's lovely. As I meditate on her, my love deepens for her. And there's no room for another. And this might be a word for those of you who are married tonight. To look at your spouse as lovely. That's what God wants to do in your marriage. And to stop all the fuss. And stop all the hang-ups. And to make that choice and say, I want to view my spouse as lovely. Lord, work that into my life. I'm just so beat up and hard in my heart now towards my wife or towards my husband because of this and because of that that tenderness. Whatever is of good report, we allow our uh, missionaries every once in a while to come up here and share what God's doing in their lives. Whatever is of good report. And they bring that good report to strengthen our faith, to remind us that God is still on the throne, guys. He's still at work. He remains faithful. We're to meditate on good reports. Virtue of moral quality that pleases when viewed in a person. <clears throat> of moral quality that pleases when viewed in a person. Is there a person in your life that God has brought? This place in your life that you're thankful for because their virtue has become a compass for your walk? I have several. I have several men in my life that I view as those who live lives of virtue that I use as a compass for my walk. And as Paul would write, imitate me as I imitate Christ, so I imitate those virtuous qualities in those I have highly esteemed. And if you haven't found somebody, then start praying that God would bring somebody into your life. We need that encouragement. Whatever is praiseworthy, 
What has God done in your life that is praiseworthy? My question for you. So we come to the final word here. Praiseworthy. For me, I look back at my life and I thank God that he's kept me from being aborted from my mother. I thank God and I praise him that he's comforted my heart when I was abused by my neighbor as a child. He showed me mercy until I came to his saving grace. He became a father to me when I had no father. He blessed me with a wonderful wife who loves the Lord. He's encouraged me with hope when we couldn't have children for 12 years of our marriage. And he eventually blessed us with three boys. He healed my marriage when we were on the road to divorce about eight years ago. And he continues to show himself strong in a weak person like me. So important for us, church, to commit our hearts to the Lord. That the things we think about, what we allow into our minds, should be that of renewing our minds and not just participating in the old ways. There should be a change. And the Bible says that Jesus is the author and the finisher of our faith. We need to allow that to happen. And my question for you is, will you allow that to happen? Let's pray. So Father, we thank you for your word and how challenging it is and the importance of thinking and, and allowing our thoughts to be focused on you, in your truth, in your word. So, Lord, that there's no room for the things that would disconnect us from you. There's no room for sin to, to be fulfilled in our lives. We want to honor you. Your word says that you know our thoughts are far off. Even before we think them, Lord, you're right there and you know them all together. There's no place that we can go, that we can hide, and you share that not because you want us to be fearful, but because you know us intimately, you know us deeply, you know all about us and you want us, Lord, to, to allow that work of your spirit to bring us in oneness with you. And I pray tonight that we would commit our thoughts to you, that we would take active steps, proactive steps, to not allow things to get in the way of praising you, of thinking about you, of meditating, of rejoicing in you. Lord, we want 
to be in your presence. We want to have that consciousness of you in our lives always. Help us, Lord, we pray. Pour out your spirit. Speak to us and help us to surrender in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.